All right. Welcome to another episode of Life, Leadership, and the Pursuit of Greatness. I'm your host, Tim Lovell, along with uh, Coach Dwayne Mathis. Uh, we are honored to have coach and author Kenny Simpson from Arkansas with us today. Uh, we'll introduce you to him in just one second. Uh, but Coach Mathis, uh, you've all officially moved. How are you? Doing well, trying to trying to recover and, and get uh, some sort of resemblance back to what we uh, were used to at the uh, the old place, but uh, the house is coming together piece by piece. So, uh, and uh, not too bad weather, so it couldn't be worse. Yeah, this is the joy of technology. I'm in the eastern Iowa, you're in uh, central Iowa, and then Coach Simpson's down south, uh, and we can all see each other and we're talking to each other. This is just an absolute joy and blessing. Uh, so let's move on to the main subject, what, I, what everyone wants to hear. Coach Simpson, thanks for joining us today. How are you? Hey, man, I'm great. I, I really appreciate uh what you guys are doing and hope things are going well in Iowa and, and from Arkansas. It's uh, It's been a, a pretty pleasant out here, except for obviously the situation we're going through. Yeah, this COVID thing has really changed the way we have to operate, hasn't it? Absolutely. You know, I, I'm a people person, so I, and, I, and I don't sit still well, so I've been going nuts in my house. But uh, it's it, it just is what it is, and, and all we can do is control what we can control. Yeah, awesome, uh, and that's a great that's a great lesson for everybody. Now, um, just on the top view, looking at, at at yourself, coach, you're the head coach at Southside Batesville, and you've written a book called "Find a Way to Really Help Coaches," uh, and that's the that's the purpose of our podcast is to help people get better. And 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 so in that vein, can, can you walk us through how you got to Southside Batesville and what inspired you to write a book and uh, kind of your background? It may, it may take a minute, but boy, we sure would love to hear it. Oh, sure. And I'll try to go uh, kind of the quick version of it. But my wife and I met at Harding University, which is in Arkansas and Searcy, Arkansas, actually. And uh, when you're when you didn't play college football, you take whatever job is offered. And so when I got a job offered in Huntsville, Alabama at 23, we moved. And so we took a job at Madison Academy, uh, which is in Huntsville. Uh, 3A school. They're, they're pretty good at football now. Back then, they were kind of new to being decent. So I got to watch a lot of a lot of great things go on there, coach football and basketball. And at 25, took a uh, defensive coordinator job in Montgomery at Alabama Christian Academy, a 4A school, and uh, and and really <clears throat> was just trying to work up the chain. At 27, a head job fell in my lap. Uh, the, the coach at ACA left, and so I became the head coach. Uh, program had been struggling; had been won four games the last two years before I took over, and. And uh, at 27, I thought I'd arrived. And, and uh, the worst thing that could have happened to me happened to me. We had a lot of success early, mm-hmm. which is probably not a good thing because I thought that was all due to me when the reality was it's probably a lot of it was probably in spite of me. Uh, stayed there for three years and then took the job at Southside uh, in Arkansas, which is close to Searcy. That's how that's why we came back, back to kind of our roots here. My wife's family's in Dallas, not very far from here. And so that's why we moved back. We had kids that were becoming that age and took a job that if I was from Arkansas, I probably would not have taken. It was a rough, rough situation. They were oh for this last couple of years before I took the job, new to football, probably one of the hardest conference in 4A in Arkansas. And it, it's taken a while uh, to build it now to where we are. We still got a long way to go. You know, we still have bigger goals here at Southside, but many of the last nine years, the last four, we've made the playoffs and two of the last three, we won the conference. And so mm. it's been really fun and satisfying watching these kids come up in our program and be 
pretty successful. Uh, more importantly to me, though, is seeing them now as young men and, and adults that are fathers and and doing all kinds of great things with their life after they leave us. It's been neat to be in a place long enough that they come back and you see them after they leave. Oh, sorry, writing a book. Yeah, so so all of that happened. And so I started writing the book when I came to Southside. I was going to write a book of a kind of a how-to manual of how to be turn programs around and and I'm the I know what I'm doing. And after about two years at Southside, I put that aside because I still had a long way to go. And the tone changed completely to, hey, I really wish I could have done this different. And so that's kind of where the book comes from that vein. Uh, you know, if you've coached long enough, you get humbled one way or the other. And I've had plenty of my shares of humble pie. And so that's kind of where I wanted the book to come from was, hey, I'm an older guy. I'm now 40. And if I could go back to my 27-year-old self, say, man, here's some stuff that uh, you don't even know and kind of walk through, you know, how to get a job. And then once you get a job, what to do, how to deal with raising money, how to deal with your assistant coaches, how to deal with players, you know. And then the last chapter was the hardest to write, but I felt needed to be written was the mistakes. Here's, here's some big mistakes I've made. Don't do this, you know, and maybe it can help somebody. Hey, Coach, uh, first of all, uh, you know, I, you and I have communicated quite a bit in the last uh, few weeks here. And, you know, I'm a big believer of what, you, what you've done uh, down in Arkansas. So, uh, you know, I'm a fan. But uh, can you talk about in your program what are some of your non-negotiables that you have? Yeah, we expect our kids uh, to live above the minimum is a, is a line we use a lot with them. You know, I don't like to tell them if their question is, how many do I have to? I, I throw it right back at them and say, you tell me how many you have to. Do, how good do you want to be? You know, and so we, we're trying to work above the minimum. It's been a big thing the last three or four years. It's taken a while to get there. But now that's a big thing we throw to them is how good do you want to be? You know, that's how hard you got to work. And so and that, that mindset has been big for us the past four or five years. That's one of our non-negotiables is just great effort, passion to be there. I want guys that want to be here. You know, that goes with coaches, including me. You know, there's times, of course, that it's a grind that you may not want to be there in that second. But the reality is I want people that are passionate about what we're doing. And then the last thing I would say is having a mindset that's beyond the game, you know, more than just a football game. I want guys that have the mindset of you're blessed to be around young men all, all day. You know, you have a platform that people would kill for. I'm a dad now. You know, my 12 year old didn't want to listen to me anymore. You know, so I know kind of where that goes and so uh you've got a platform to reach young men and, and so that's the first thing i look for an assistant coach is who would i want my son to play for and then we can work on other stuff so those i'd say would be my non-negotiables i try not to have too many because i don't want to paint myself in a corner you know? yeah one you know one of the, the the two rules i remember when i was in college my head coach uh steve miller had two rules uh is do right and be on time and i, I just remember thinking well, that's really not a lot there, but that's pretty all-encompassing. And I, I think, you know, that KISS philosophy, you all know what that is. Keep it simple, stupid. And uh, it, it makes it makes for more more clarity, I think. Uh, Coach, who who are some of your major influencers uh, getting you to your philosophy, in, influencing you to write your book, uh, helping you move up in your profession, uh, being a better man? Well, I've got a pretty unique background. If you go farther back in my life, my father was in the Air Force. And so we moved like 
<laughs> we moved like all the time. And so I actually went to three different high schools my last two years of school. So you can imagine, you know, the different experiences I had. I actually embraced it and just said, hey, you know, this is this is who it is. I can complain or I can embrace it. Let's embrace it. You know, I actually lived alone. My senior year, I actually lived with friends and because uh, my parents were moving somewhere else and they wanted me to be somewhat stable. And so because of that, uh, I've got a lot of experiences and I've met a lot of great coaches that do things very differently. Uh, coach Peacock was my coach in Greenwood, Arkansas. I think one of the greatest men I've been around and I only was around him for a year, you know, and then I've had several guys in other sports and basketball uh, that were great influence. Joey Adams is now in Mobile Christian down in down south. He coached me in JV basketball, probably when he should have cut me, uh, but he, he kept me on the team and I learned so much from him. Uh, and then as a young coach, I was able to work under guys, uh, Brian Stiles, who's in Huntsville, Alabama, was a defensive coordinator who took a 150 pounder and taught him how to coach the D-line, you know, and then he was a guy I could go to and would teach me life lessons. And um, when I was in at Alabama Christian Academy, I, I had Greg Baker, you know, who was a, a 320 pound guy that played at Georgia Tech. And, you know, I'm sure we looked hilarious next to each other to see how much bigger and smaller we were, but he took me under his wing and. The, the thing that I learned the most, though, was there's not one way to do it. You know, I think a lot of guys try to emulate, hey, I want to be like, name a great coach, Nick Saban or Pete Carroll or whoever. The reality is I learned that I need to be who I am and be the best version of me. You know, and, and kids respond to real, you know. And, and now as a head coach, I'm able to go out and bring a bunch of guys that are different than me on my staff. I don't want seven coach Simpsons, you know, that could be really boring. I want guys that are genuine and they care about our kids, but I want diverse. And I want, because I think that we can reach more people if we're that way. So I, that's kind of been something that has really influenced heavily decisions I make now from my background. So coach, if you could go back to say when you were first involved in coaching to now as a coach, did you think you would change in your opinion on what you feel is the most important uh, about the game of football? I think as you age, you do. I think as you, you know, I was 27 years old and I can say all I want. And I did care about my kids. I always have cared about my kids, but I didn't understand the long lasting impact because I, I hadn't lived long enough to see a kid who left my program and came back. So it does change you significantly as you age that's why I think older guys, they don't get softer. They just start understanding that love is way more important than just hammering these poor kids. You know, I think that when you live long enough, you start to recognize that football is a game and it's there like a vapor. It's gone quickly. And then these kids have the rest of their life that you, you have a limited amount of time to impact them on. So I do think that's the biggest change for me. Uh, I really think that early on in my career, Winning was way more important than it is now. The ironic part is I'm winning a lot more now, you know, but early on, that's what I thought about. That was the end goal. And that was the whole process was winning. And, uh, and now as I've gotten older, we don't even talk about winning with our kids on a scoreboard. We talk about the process of doing things right and, and becoming better men. And the irony is now we're winning more games, you know, just kind of one of those things. I wish I could go back and tell myself that. Hey, the stuff you really believe, it is true. It, it don't sacrifice your beliefs to try to win games because it's not worth it and it ain't going to work. Well, I think it's probably um, 
appropriate though that the fact that uh, you talk about caring and loving your kids more and all that other stuff kind of seems to follow along and fall in place. Yeah, it does, man. And, and I did at 27. I really did care about my kids. I just didn't understand how much of an impact we have on these kids. You know, when I yell at a kid, I thought, oh, he'll blow it off and go home. He's, you know, he probably got good parents. And then I started realizing as I've gotten older, I might be the only voice that kid hears that tells him he loves him. I really might be the only guy that ever says that to him. And if I'm not saying it to him, he never hears it. And so it's really changed the way I look at how I coach. Can you can you talk about what the background us at Southside is? I mean, when you talk about you, a kid may never hear "I love you." I mean, do you have is it low socioeconomically? What's what's it like there? It is. Uh, we've got some awesome parents and some awesome kids, and we've got some awesome kids who have had to overcome really really rough situations. Uh, we're about seventy percent free reduced lunch, so very poverty stricken area. Uh, we've got a lot of people that really do care, uh, but we've got a lot of young men who. If I was in their situation, I would not be here right now. I'm not, I don't have the character they did, you know? And so to me, it changes a lot of time. We're not going to lower our standard ever. You know, we have expectations, but sometimes you have to understand where a kid's coming from and you have to adapt to him to bring him where you want him to go. Well, and one of the things in, in my school district, uh, we, they, they did in, you know, the first couple of days that they have all the PD stuff they had. They had a little Q-tip they handed out to everybody and gave everyone the acronym Q-tip. And it was like, what is this? You know, and it's quit taking it personal. And um, I think you, what you're saying is you, you, you allude to that a little bit. A kid might not be acting the way because he just, it's not because he's disrespecting you. It's just because what he knows or what he's fighting for, or, um, you know, he, he's trying to find his way. Um, and our job is to provide that guidance. And I think that's one of the biggest takeaways I've had in, in doing this podcast is, you know, our job is to love the kids through the process. And I think it sounds like you really got a good handle on that and your experience has made that uh, possible yeah. for you. Yeah. And I, I think even in the mistakes I made, Paul, I, I, I go, I talk about a situation where I'm griping some kid out and he deserved him. Mean, he was acting out. He deserved. And as he walks off the field, I'm about to get some more of them. Uh, my assistant coach informs me, hey, by the way, his parents divorced. You know, you might want to know that before you walk up. I mean, you talk about feeling about two inches big. My goodness. You know, and that's. So I think as you age, you start to recognize that sometimes the acting is a symptom of a much larger problem. Let's get to the root of the problem and then we can influence the kid more. And so that that's I think what you're talking about there is it, it, he wasn't being personally disrespectful to me. He was dealing with all kinds of stuff, you know, and so I, I think that's where as you age, you get better. I hate to say that to young coaches, but be patient with yourself. You'll get better in that area. Well, because it really comes down to getting to the heart of each kid. And if you got their heart, then you know you're going to have their behavior. It's not going to be 100% perfect, right? You know, but then you can have that conversation where it's not a, a volatile, you know, chewing somebody's rear end because uh, of a deal um, that, that's happened. Uh, you know, but coach, let, moving back into the coaching side of things, you talked about having genuine, diverse coaches. Um, what are the things that you do or what are some of the things that you build uh, build into your coaching staff to help them lead your players? Because really, quite honestly, they're the ones that probably push that vision out to your players more so than you. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that was the hardest step. So guys that are wanting to go from an assistant coach to a head coach, I would rank that as the hardest part is working with your staff correctly. And I was awful at it. And I still have a lot of room to grow in this. 
Uh, but one, I'm a natural micromanager. I naturally just want to do things myself and, and don't use the talents of the guys around me. Then I sometimes don't communicate very well with them. And so I did a whole chapter in that book talking about how you've got to, one, have a vision that you over-communicate to your coaches. Two, you've got to train them up the way you want them to work and be clear with it. But three, you've got to delegate it to them. I've started started kind of what I call an 80-20. So if they can do the job 80% as well as me, I need to get out of the way. Sometimes they can do it way better than I can do. And I need to recognize that and step back and let them do it underneath our vision and constant communication. And delegate doesn't mean dump jobs you don't want. It may be jobs that you do want. I love doing X's and O's, but I got a dude on my staff who's pretty dang good at that. So let him do that and dedicate my time other places. And I think a lot of times, too, on your staff, one of the things that I try to do is find a niche for them, not just a position. So I've got one guy who's awesome at raising money and community relations. So he kind of heads that up for me. He, he works with college coaches when they come on. He works with the booster club. He works with all that stuff. I've got some guys that are younger who are good with technology. Well, that's what they do. They kind of handle our huddle. I, I delegate. Hey, you pick what you want to go with. You tell me what company you want to go with and how you want this to work. And, and you have the authority and the money. And here's your budget to work with that. Uh, and then, of course, you have uh, coaches. That, I've got one guy who's a uh, reverend. You know, well, anytime we've got kids that need mentoring, that just naturally falls there. So a lot of that is just as a coach recognizing their talents. And uh, as assistant coach, I know I appreciated it more when they recognized what I could do and, and gave me the ability to do that. Well, that obviously, uh, you know, as an assistant coach, you feel the trust put in you as a, uh, from your head coach, when you have them uh, giving you those types of responsibilities. I hope so. You know, I hope so. If you got my assistants on here, they would still talk about how I'd still struggle with micromanaging and I still struggle with, letting go. Uh, but <laughs> I'm trying to get better. Uh, but I think you're right. I think the deal is, I don't care if you have 35 guys on your staff, if you're trying to do everything, and everything has to run through you, you really only have a staff of one. You don't have a staff of 35, you got one. And so I don't want single minded dudes. I, we're going to get behind on Sunday night and we're going to argue and it's going to be heated. And that's just kind of how it is. When we leave that room, we're together, but I didn't hire them. And I tell them, I don't care if you're 23 or 75, if you're in this room, your opinion matters. Speak up, you know, because that's – and I, there's been times I've taken the guy right out of college's idea and we did it on Friday night. You know, and there's been times that we didn't take any of them because they weren't the best idea. You know, but I think that there's at least a – that's what you have to have among a staff, I really believe, to be successful. How many people on your staff do you say you have, Coach Simpson? This year we were fortunate to have seven on senior high and four on junior high, so 11 total. Um, it's been, it was, that's, that's more than normal. Usually it's in that six and three range. And so do you, do you set the expectation, uh, when you're talking to your coaches, like when you say, Hey, I want your opinions. Do you say, you know, Hey, I want your opinions. However, doesn't mean I'm always going to take them kind of deal. And, you know, when we walk out of this room, we all need to be on the same page. How do you handle that with your coaches? Well, a lot of what you just said, I mean, I think you, you have to, let them all understand, hey, I want to listen to everybody. And it's, like you mentioned earlier, I think Coach Lovell, it's not personal. It's not personal in this room. 
if my idea is the dumbest one, we're going to throw it out. And I'm the head coach. You know, it's not a not a personal thing, but I'm personally going to be the one that gets fired. So I've got to make the choice <laughs> at some point, and you got to be on board with that choice. Or if you aren't on board enough, then you probably need to go to another place. You know, and so I, you have to set that. We do a coach's manual. I do it as a Google Doc. And so that's a living document. And I encourage my coaches to go in there and add in all the things they do. You know, put in the things you're doing off the field. You know, we're going to come back and we're going to add to this. And I try to use a lot of pronouns, as you can tell, like we, because this is us and this is we. This is not me, Coach Simpson. You know, and, and, and try to also deflect a lot of the praise when things go well to those guys. You know, naturally, as a head coach, it comes to you. You get the interviews and you get the this and you get the that and whatever it is, but try to deflect it. And the other thing I think a lot of times with, the head, with the, my assistants is I'll bring them in and I'll ask what their goals are. Where do you want to be? You know, can I help you become a head coach or do you not have any desire for that? And then based upon that answer, here's your duties I expect you to do. You want to be a head coach? Well, here's some of the not so fun things you probably need to know. You know, and so mm-hmm. I think that at least gets more buy-in from them. Yeah, you know, you can never truly get fully prepared for uh, being a head coach. I don't know that you can do that, but certainly more knowledge is is power. Like one of the things that we've done as a staff during this COVID thing is is met twice a week and and really break down the playbook. You know, to hey, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're not going to do. And everybody's got an opinion on setting up the rules for how we're doing it. And um, ultimately I'll be the one that makes the final decision, but your, your input matters. So if there's something you specifically want, um, or don't want, then, then we need to talk about it. And, uh, I know that when I was an assistant, I valued that type of questioning from the head coaches I worked for, and then the autonomy to go do my job. Yeah. And I think a lot of, uh, we're able in Arkansas, I don't know about other States, but to do a lot of B team games and that's to develop players but in my mind, that's also to develop coaches. That's for, for me to step back and let you mismanage the clock and then have that discussion after. And that's really, really hard to do as a head coach because you see it coming and you want to stop it, but you need to let it go. Let that guy learn, okay, and maybe, maybe, maybe they're right. But I think that's a lot of chances for you to develop young coaches is to give them those B-team games where – let them learn is a lot harder than they think it is to call plays with 20 seconds or 30s, whatever it is, or call a defense. Let them learn. And then one-on-one where people are going to be more open, you can talk to them. So uh, kind of an old thing I learned was we're going to praise in public and try to criticize in private as much mm-hmm. as we can. So was uh, would a younger self, Coach Simpson, been on the headset talking to your, uh, you know, assistant coaches in those B games saying, you know, screaming in the air, what are you doing? You know, why aren't you calling a timeout here or, or spiking the ball or, or why aren't you calling this play? Would you have been doing that or? or? Yeah, and unfortunately still sometimes I got to fight the urge for that. So it's, uh, it, it's you know, it's we, I try to get better, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a, I think naturally most coaches naturally are going to be micromanagers because we we want it to be done right. Just like most dads push their 12-year-old son out of the way when they're fixing the car, the reality is you need to bring them in and teach them for a long-term gain. It's really hard to do that as a young coach because you don't have the experience of what long-term gain looks like. Yeah, so so push that down then. you know, um, I don't know if you've ever heard Tim Kite talk um, or Brian Kite on the Focus 3 
they've done a lot of podcasts with Urban Meyer and the whole leadership deal. But Tim Kite has a concept of of um, owning your 20 square feet, and, and that really gets down to just building your culture. And and so we've talked here a little bit about how you allow your coaches to own their 20 square feet to to, to build your vision into the program. Uh, how do you push that into your players? How do you how do you hold them accountable, and what do you do do allow them to grow in their leadership? Yeah, I think that's huge. That's one of the, the biggest things that we have done. I mean, I've been blessed to be in the same place for a while, which makes it easier. You know, I think a lot of times people, real quick sidebar, you're taught culture and you're at a place for two years. I don't really think that's culture. I really think mm-hmm. that's just you're a good coach and you won some games. You know, culture to me is you've been somewhere for five, six, seven. Now those are your kids that you have developed. And so because of that, we're able to identify the kids we view as leaders. You know, I can identify them in sixth, seventh grade. You can watch them play and figure, all right, that one, that one, and that one. They're the ones I really got to get. And if I can control, not control them, that's the wrong word, but if I can get them to buy into our belief system, they will take it and pass it along the way. So we work a lot with them as I've gotten older. As a head coach, you're limited on how many guys. I try to talk to every kid, but there are certain kids that I pull in because I know that this is, we call them the alpha. This is going to be the alpha of this grade. This guy has got to believe in what I believe in for us to go the right direction. So I get them in seventh grade, and those are the ones I talk with. And I get them in eighth and ninth. And then 10th grade, they start senior high football. So now we kind of rev up a little more of the, okay, you know, your expectations are going to be higher because you're a natural leader. Usually by that time, we've built up a, 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 a relationship where they understand I'm trying to help them grow as a leader. And so now a lot of conversations of, are you okay if I use you as an example? And most of the time by that point, the answer is most of the time going to be yes. Well, now I can push my best player, my hardest worker, my, my best, I'm sorry, my best player and my leader the hardest. Well, once the guys that are not as talented seem to be pushing him, well, what are they thinking? Well, man, if he's going to do that to that guy, you know, and a lot of times he'll also those those alphas I call them will take care of small issues. Call them in your office. Hey, I need your help with whatever mm-hmm. it is. It's a small issue, and it's something they can take care of. Now you kind of kind of guide them because these are kids. Hey, you can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do you know. But here's kind of some like you mentioned. Your maybe it's not twenty square feet. Maybe it's your five square feet. You know, here's your area. Take it. Or, hey, you know, seniors, what uniform are we going to wear Friday night? You know, give them some give them some kind of incentive to be part of what we're doing. So I don't know. I think it's I don't think there's a program you can go to that. Hey, hey you go buy this or go do this is going to work. But I do think you do need to identify your leaders and, and definitely get them on your with you in your corner. Mm-hmm. So, Coach, do you do any type of leadership council with your players or anything like that? Or do you just strictly identify your leaders, and those are the people that you go to? We're looking into it, but I, I'm real hesitant of programs because I find that sometimes programs, like if it's a kind of in the box, this thing, that it, it doesn't fit exactly what we want. And so I like to do a lot more things one-on-one with these kids. Um, you know, we have certain guidelines we go with, what we're looking for in these type of kids, but I don't, I don't do a leadership council officially. You know, we just meet with the kids that we think are the guys that are kind of controlling the team. That also gives me freedom. You know, we're not having to name this kid as a captain. That kid, we're not having to do that. If I've got a kid that can reach another kid better, I may pull that kid in. 
And so it, it allows me, I think, to spread the love more than to just say these four kids are leadership council. Now I might pull in the senior. Hey, I know this guy's got a great relationship with this sophomore. And we do that. Now we do a senior uh, big brother, little brother program, uh, which mm. we're starting to kind of implement farther down. Right now, it just basically consists of they're going to trade numbers. We do a couple small events for them. We are looking to grow that because I've seen the results of that and I like it. So we're starting to kind of go, all right, you're with this kid. You're in charge of him. You're going to help him as his mentor. And we're still fleshing out exactly how that's going to look. Is that a senior to freshman or can you can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. The, the past couple of years have been senior to freshman. At the end of the year, we bring our freshmen up to our team. And so usually we try to bring as many freshmen up as we have seniors. So we have 16 seniors, 16 freshmen, and we pair them up. And uh, usually it will last the last five, six, six weeks if we're making a playoff run uh, where they will be in charge of them, you know, help them find a locker, help them do all the smaller things. And my wife will do a dinner for them. We kind of mm. take their picture and honor them. We're wanting to make it now a, a, a senior sophomore that can last all year because I think it's the benefits of it are really, really good. Uh, I've just got to flesh out exactly how I want it to look. Yeah, I think that's awesome. A couple of things we do in our program is we have a youth camp and I have my seniors run it for three days. You know, all the fourth through sixth graders come in and, you know, the players run the drills. It's a day offense, a day defense. And then we finish up with by picking out teams and you know, playing like ultimate football and we compete and the winners get their picture taken and they get to eat watermelon first. And, um, you know, and, and Coach Mathis has done a, a candle where he's passed on, um, you know, kind of a legacy thing. Uh, to hit, you know, hey, this is my number. I'm passing it down to you. This is the legacy you're going to leave. And, um, you know, I, I really like how your your view on the unity council thing, because I, I, I've done it and it's it's been um, it's good and bad. But I've also found the diffusion of responsibility sort of makes things tougher to uh, really get into. And it gets to be a little bit more of a quote unquote resume builder as opposed to a, a, you know, an accountability issue, which is really what you're looking to do. Um, and so I, I think the individuality piece is a great way to incorporate some of that. And what better time right now than to invest in, you know, in kids and help them be leaders uh, during this COVID time. And I like, I really like the idea of the number thing. We do try to talk a lot about legacy. You know, we talk mm -hmm. a lot about legacy. We have a locker in our uh, locker room that they sign on senior night uh, that stays in there. And we'll invite everyone who's graduated in that night. So I might have 60 former players in there watching these guys sign it. It's a big deal for them. And and then you mentioned with the young kids, we'll take them down there with the elementary and we'll go read the elementary. We talk a lot about your legacy, your legacy. your Because here's the deal with kids and even young adults, they think about one day ahead. You know, so if I can get them to think long-term, they're generally going to make better decisions. And so that's kind of the goal. It benefits the little kids, obviously. I mean, it's a recruiting tool, of course, but it really benefits your older kids because it lets them realize the impact they have. Yeah, one of the things uh, we've done in our program in regards to, you know, legacy is, uh, you know, we've also uh, done where our middle school comes up on Thursdays uh, to work or to do warm-ups with our high school kids. And so they, they usually have one or, or two people on the, uh, the side of them, you know, doing their warm up stretches alongside of them and just kind of helping build that relationship with 
with those younger kids. Yeah, that's awesome. That's all. And see, I, and I've got a personal stake. I've got a 12 year old son who's going to be a seventh grader. Well, man, he's grown up around these kids. He knows these kids. And so I use him a lot as an example. I'm going to have to start using someone else now, but talking about how he, when you do bad things, my seven year old, eight year old, 10 year old is watching you, you know, and he's going to do those things. I think that's way more impactful than just running a kid. We're going to run them too. You know, they do something dumb. But I think the, the goal of running is to get to the heart, not just to, punish somebody and so i think you've got to have those conversations on top of the discipline uh well we're going to take a quick break and when we come back with coach Simpson, we're going to talk about how you build competitiveness competitiveness and toughness and his book find a way we can't wait to hear more about that all right coach uh, one of the things uh, you mentioned earlier that i was intrigued to know about as you said it's something that you saved for the last chapter of your book your mistakes that you've made. So could you, I mean, you know, and I don't want to give away your book, you know, obviously we want people to go out there and purchase it kind of deal, but uh, could you talk, talk about some of the, maybe your two biggest mistakes or two mistakes that you've made that you wish you could go back, or maybe you don't even wish you could go back because you use them as a, as a learning tool for yourself to get better. Yeah. And I've got a few uh, future books I'm going to do. I I really think I'm going to just include that in every book. I think that to me, I think when coaches are honest about things they do wrong, it helps other coaches. And so uh, in that book, I think the one I talked about, we mentioned earlier, was a young man I got onto that was going through a tough situation. I think there's other ones I've gone through that could easily work with the same deal. But one of the most recent ones that uh, I'm putting in the next book that's going to come out talks about a young man that I coached uh, and I had him when I came to Southside. He had transferred over and I knew he had some issues, some issues with drugs. Uh, that's why he came to us and he was clean. We made him stay clean to get through the season. Uh, but as a young coach, once he was through the season, he wasn't my problem anymore. So I stopped really checking in on him and he took us a, a bad turn, as y'all probably would assume would happen. And, uh, you know, I went to his funeral a couple of years ago and I will never forget that, you know, when, when you're a coach and you, I don't know if I could have done anything different. Y'all have been there. There's sometimes you can't do anything different. But the fact that I didn't continue to check in with him after he left me and kind of just cast him aside sticks with me, you know. And so that to me was probably one of the biggest mistakes that I know I've made. And and I, I vowed I'm not going to do that again. And I, it's, I think it's really important to hear other coaches talk. Uh, hear you talk like that, Coach Simpson, because you know one of the things that Coach Mathis and I have really come to understand that the guys that really make the difference are the ones that understand it's not about them. And and vulnerability, uh, admitting mistakes is a huge part of growing. Uh, and, you know, we try to tell our kids on the football field, in the weight room, the classroom, failure isn't fatal uh, and success isn't final. But failure is only failure if you stop competing and stop fighting. And so, you know, the fact that you're able to recognize and learn from that is I think vital and, it, and it's a voice that needs to be heard. I, I can speak to this last season. We thought, you know, collectively as a staff, our, our program was going to be fit for the triple option. You know, I ran it in college and um, I had a coach that knew it, a couple that really knew it and based on lower numbers and inexperienced line, heck, it'll be easy. Don't block two guys in the line of scrimmage. And, um, you know, our first three years, we were a little bit more pro spread up tempo and we really kind of slowed it down. And our players just like, this is not what we're thinking it's going to be. And, and we struggled and it was, you know, it was the season that you're never going to forget. It was a perfect season, just not on the winning end. And so, um, you know, it was some heart to heart issues 
um, that we had to get back to as a staff and uh, meet with seniors. And, and we're really going back to what we did and what the kids know. And, and, and that, that's the feedback we got. And so, listen, we, we took a leap of faith, but man, that was, that was one that, you know, I, 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 I wouldn't want to go through it again, but I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. If that makes sense. Yeah, coach, I've, I've, I've been, I mentioned it in my book. I've been coach of the year. You know, I've been the guy that everybody loves and I've been on 10. When I came to Southside, it was a rebuild. It took a while. And I, I don't want to ever go 0-10 again. It was miserable. But I wouldn't trade it for anything because it makes you – you realize real quickly who you are and who really cares about you. And, and you go 0-10, you find out real quick, you know, what are you made of? Are you going to live all the things you're telling your kids or are you going to crumble because you're not winning? And I, I, it was a great growing experience for me and my team. And I'll tell you what, that group of seniors – I, I, to me, they've got more respect from me than almost any other group I've had because they stuck with it. They didn't quit. It would have been easy to quit, but they yeah. fought. You know, our last game, I think that year, we played the team that won the conference and they're making a run of the playoffs. We're up in the fourth quarter. I mean, you talk about character. That's mm. character. You know, yeah. it's easy right now when we're, we're winning conference. That's easy character. You know, hard character is 0-9, playing the conference champs. That could have been a 60 to nothing game easy. Yeah, and, and credit to your effort. We, we didn't win our last two this year, but we played the eventual state champion in game eight and uh, the previous state champion in game nine. And uh, it was our best games of the year, most competitive, most energy. Um, and it would have been really easy for us to roll over and die and get beat, you know, 90 to nothing. And uh, I'll tell you, as a staff, we were so proud of our kids and our program. And I think the parents really recognized that. And that was a really good momentum for us to jump into the offseason, um, you know, and, and so – uh, that's a character thing, and I appreciate you saying that. Um, as we talk about your book, is there is there a, another point? Is there another piece that you feel, uh, without giving too much away again, that is is vital for coaches to take away? Um, you know, you talk about find a way, and I I, I think that's a great motto for coaches. Yeah, I, I, that's been what we've lived with at Southside. We just kind of came and I've actually got an armband on. I think you've got find a way on there. So it's something we've gone with. And uh, to me, it's just been basically as a way of saying no excuses. Uh, but I, I would say, man, in the book, and, and I don't, I'll give away whatever. I mean, I, I wrote the book to help people. And, you know, I don't care if they want to give me five bucks, whatever it is. You know, it's, uh, but for us, I, I think young coaches can benefit a lot from the first couple chapters because it talks about how to get a job. You know, I think that's I've seen a lot of really good guys that just don't understand that how that works, how all that stuff works on how to build a good portfolio and how to build a good, you know, and these are guys would be great coaches or how to interview. You know, they're great with kids. I just don't get all that part. So the first part of the book is that. And then it talks about, OK, now you got the job. So now you've got that job you wanted. And it just it's like all of a sudden you're drinking out of a fire hose and just information <laughs> overload. How do you sort that stuff? So to me, if you're a young coach, those two chapters, I know a lot of guys have emailed me back or DM'd me and told me that they really appreciated those. A lot of the older coaches gravitate towards handling their staff, mistakes that I've made. It's just to me, it's it's been interesting to see the feedback from everybody. And fortunately, most of them are positive or quiet. So that's always good. You know, but uh, but they gravitate to different areas of the book. Coach, um, we, we talk about being tough and being competitive. And, you know, you, you hear a lot of times that oh, today's athletes are so different. And, 
Um, I, I've kind of come to the conclusion that kids are kids and they want to be coached, uh, but we're they're just at different levels. Um, I don't know what your thoughts on that are, but how do you view athletes today and how, how do you try to build that toughness, that competitive fire uh, within kids in your program? What are things that you do? Uh, well, the first question, you know, how are they different? I think there's two parts that are way different from when, uh, and I'm 40, so even when I grew up or even guys older than me that are different. One is youth sports, I think, has changed the way high school sports are run because now I'm dealing with a kid who you know has been maybe – treated like an exceptional athlete at the age of eight. Well, you know, that's that's a hard thing to handle. How do you handle youth sports? You know, because that's just, there's a lot of good and there's a lot of bad that comes out of youth athletics. And so now you're dealing with untraining some of that stuff. The second part I think is different is parents are different. Kids are not different. Kids are fine with you getting on them and coaching them hard. Sometimes their mom and dad are not, or their lack of mom and dad or not. Mm -hmm. And so those were the two major differences I think are. So we do a lot of things on our end to try to strengthen that bond between the athlete and the parent and the coach and the parent. We do mother son date night. We do a father son retreat. We do a lot of things where we encourage the parents like a work day where they come and they're part of our program. So we want to, we're on the same team, you know, mom, dad, you and me, we're on the same team to get junior from point A to point B there's going to be some, some times when he's going to go home and whine about me, just like there's some times he comes to practice and whines about you. And we need to try to work together. It doesn't always work that way, but that's one of the things we do. In our youth program, I actually have assigned coaches to be over certain teams to make sure our hands are on those kids. And then we try to make sure they play about the same amount of time. So there's not a star and there's not a some kid that's terrible because it really honestly in fourth grade, whichever kid at puberty first wins. That's just kind of how it goes. So we don't want to run that kid off. Toughness. Toughness, man, I, I think it's a, it, it comes from the coach. You know, I really think if your team is not tough, you need to look in the mirror, you know, because I think that's where they get it from. And toughness can be different. You know, toughness for me, it was 150 pounds and getting run over by a 240-pound running back. That was toughness, okay? So we try to preach a lot of toughness is doing things you don't want to do in situations you don't want to do them in. That's tough. Tough is not dunking on some kid and what you see on YouTube and pointing at him. You know, tough for Michael Jordan was not scoring 40 points. Tough for Michael Jordan was passing the ball to Steve Kerr to win the game. That was tough. You know, so doing something you may not be comfortable with. My first practice at Southside, I get the job. We're going to run inside zone. And so we start running inside zone. We spent 40 minutes on the inside period, on the inside zone on the first day because they kept asking when do we move on? I said, once you figure out that we're going to do this regardless of what they know and we're going to put you in the worst situation, then we'll move on. And I think that was a mindset that when the kids got it and they started recognizing that tough doesn't mean being a bully and tough doesn't mean doing things you want. Tough means doing things you don't want to do. It really has changed our, our program. And, and convincing, going back to the first part, convincing the parents that's what you're trying to accomplish. When they believe and buy into that, it becomes easier. Doesn't always work perfect, but it does. It does make it easier. Coach, can when you talk about youth sports, and you know, here in Iowa, baseball, softball, basketball have really taken off in in regards to youth sports. Not so much, uh, well, soccer as well. Not so much as as football. Uh, but when you talk about parents have changed, do you think this is my own theory on it? And you know, I. I 
you know, having to officiate some youth basketball games. You know, I've always said those were way worse than high school basketball games uh, when I officially officiated those. But uh, I do really believe that there this sense of entitlement from parents has come by how much money they have to spend for their for their child to participate in these things or be a part of these these club teams. I mean, it's it's some pretty outrageous prices even here in Iowa. Yeah, I think uh, I don't want to get on just bashing youth sports. I could easily do that. But uh, I think some of the issues you face with youth sports, one is what you mentioned. Nothing's elite if you're paying. That just means you're willing to pay money. It's a source of income. So you have to face that issue. You have to face specialization where now we're convincing an eight-year-old that they need to focus on whatever. And it could be football. I don't care what sport it is. Somebody's telling your kid to focus on a sport. They don't have your kid's interest in mind. I don't think at all. Uh, So you're facing specialization. You're facing uh, entitlement. And you're also facing now you have a kid who's dominant in the eighth grade who's getting a ring the size of, you know, the size of my fist. What does he have to look forward to? You know, and so we try and use sports to try to use them as character building here. Uh, I try to highly discourage our kids from going and playing year round football, even if that's I don't want them doing that. I want them to go do something else. And so uh, we try to really push multiple sports on our kids. Uh, it's not always been reciprocated from other sports, but I feel that's what we should do. And so those are a couple of things we've tried to do to with the youth epi- epidemic, I get whatever the youth sports issues you've got going on there. But I will say, if you're not talking to kids at the age of eight, nine, ten, you may never see them because they might be specialized before they even get to you. Well, I, I agree 100% with what you said there. I mean, I think uh, a head coach who ignores a youth football program in their town or community or what, you know, program, whatever you want to call it, is really doing a disservice to their program and really killing. Yeah, they program. are. If you plan on being somewhere a long time, and a lot of coaches, especially younger guys, don't see that, they don't look down the road. Um, you know, it's going to be issues. And and to us, when youth sports are done right, they can be done awesome. You know, we've got a kid, I've got a young coach with me uh, who's in our area that has coached several of our teams, and he's done some pretty awesome character building things with his teams. I mean, that's been, that's what, what we're all about. And he and I have a great relationship. Um, and I think that's what you need to do with your youth sports is, is reach out and do that. Coach, I mentioned before we jumped on here, we, we're always love to hear what our, our guests are reading. Um, you know, what are some of the books that have impacted you, what you're reading now, um, that, that have, have uh, influenced what you do? Well, you know, I, I, I read for pleasure. Of course, I'm a big John Grisham fan. So those are the things I just enjoy reading. But when it gets to coaching, I've started gravitating. Of course, I, I grew up reading the, the guys that are high profile. And those books are great. Like Tony Dungy's books are, are phenomenal. I read Bobby Bowden's book. It's awesome. Uh, but I've started recently gravitating towards high school coaches that are putting stuff out like because it's me, you know. And yep. so Randy Jackson has a couple books that are good. Uh, Cody Alexander. I really like his stuff, more X and O kind of stuff. Uh, I actually was just on a chalk war with PJ Gibbs. Uh, and so I'm, I'm, we're going to trade books. And so really, I've enjoyed reading from other high school coaches what they do. And then um, I've started getting into more uh, like what FCA is putting out and things of, of reaching your kids on a deeper level. Some of the stuff they put out is really good, too. Coach, when you talk about books, I'm just very intrigued in this. And 
you know, how did you ever come to a, the, the thought of, I want to write a book? I mean, to me, that's, that seems like a very daunting task uh, to take on, especially, you know, I look at everything that we do as head football coaches. I mean, because even though our season lasts from August to November type of deal, you know, I'm sure if you're like Tim and I, the season really never ends. And it's, it's, we never stop thinking about, you know, what we can do to, to build our program to make it stronger and better. So I, you know, I think of, you know, not only, yes, I'm a husband and father, uh, you know, spending time with my kids and being a teacher full time and then add on, you know, football coach. And if you coach any other sports and then you add on top of that, hey, I want to write a book. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, do you have any other extra irons that you want to throw in the fire? Yeah, there? no, it's it's and, and now I've started putting some of my actual X and O stuff together. You know, so it's here's what I've learned is uh, I don't really enjoy fishing or hunting or golf or don't really enjoy watching TV and there are no sports to watch right now. So if, right now, basically I get up, I take on my local school and team and whatever. I'm with my family all day. And then I sit down and I start working on football because that's what's on my mind. And so uh, the first book, the one you guys are referring to is out now, it took me about six, seven years to do. I've now got two books that are pretty much done and they're going to come out here in the next off season or so down the road because I've had more time to do them. But you mentioned it's daunting. You know, it starts off with, because here's the deal. I read my the book, uh, find a way. I read that now and go, man, I wish I'd added this. I wish I'd had it, you know, because it's always a continual. But what I have found is it's been great therapy for me. And I've also found that the connections I would never trade. Like I'm now talking to guys in Australia, in Brazil, in Europe, in Canada and Mexico. I mean, it's been cool to see that it's impacted people across the, the place. If it, I, you know, if I'd sold 10 books, that's fine. I don't care. You know, I, but the connections that it makes and the people that maybe it can help has been, has been great to see. And it's also been therapy for me to put stuff out like that. It's been me kind of fleshing out my own thoughts. So it's, uh, it's been enjoyable. I'm not great at grammar. So it, usually the books are done and it takes four months for the editors to like fix all that stuff. But it's been really enjoyable. Well, I, I think it's, you know, somewhat kind of like, you know, Tim and I, in the sense of with this podcast, you know, we started this together as more of a, it's kind of a cathartic process for us and, and try to really honestly to, to make us better as coaches. And, and I'm sure when you started writing some of these things down on your book, it was try to, not only was it to hopefully help other people, but try to maybe help and sharpen your tools that you have in, in your program. And uh, we've always kind of said, you know, it doesn't really matter if, you know, one or five people or 500 people listen to our podcast, you know, it's, it's selfishly, it's a way for us to get Absolutely. Better. I mean, as guys like you, what you're doing to grow the game is important. I mean, I think there's this generation of coaches I think you hear a lot of people talk about this generation and then it's a negative. Here's a very positive. This generation of coaches is thirsty for knowledge and they're looking for mentors and people like you that are putting this stuff out, people that are putting out books or putting out resources. Man, I, I think the football community has rallied behind each other uh, for the most part. Not everybody's there, but for the most part, you see guys, this is your free time. Like these guys could be fishing, they could be hunting, they could be, and what are they doing? They're trying to find resources to make their team better and their kids better. And to me, that speaks to the character of the upcoming generation. Uh, I'm very, very excited, and I've really enjoyed getting to see that. 
Yeah, and I think to, to your point, the, one of the really cool things is the connection you make with coaches you never thought you'd make. Like, you know, I'm sure that, you know, five years ago, you never thought you'd be on a podcast with a bunch of uh, ding-dongs from Iowa, you know, talking about a, a book you'd published. And, uh, but, you know, it, it, this is this is awesome for me because then it's, you know, hey, check the, check the scores on, on uh, Saturday morning, you know, see how Southside did. And I got to tell you, I'm a, particularly fond of your high school's name because we have a we have a little saying here on in Marion called uh, Southside, and uh, we are in the literally location-based South Side of town, Marion Independent School District in the South Side of town. But it's a it's a, a double meaning for me because I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, uh, a White Sox fan, uh, which is on the South Side of Chicago, and my both my parents grew up on the South Side of Chicago, and so you know. Being a being a White Sox fan and moving to Iowa and being on the South Side of Marion, the head coach, you know, you know, what side, South Side, and you know, so it's really cool. Um, not that you really care necessarily about that, but I, no. I think that's really cool. And um, you know, we we're just really grateful that you you took the opportunity to spend time with us. I can't wait to get your book. It's it's going to be on its way here when we're, we're done here, uh, because I think you have a really powerful message. I, I I love the passion that you have, and I love the fact that you're willing to give. Uh, freely of your time uh, to help us get better and help other coaches get better. It's a testament to, to who you are and, you know, not knowing me from a hole in the wall, uh, you're just sharing information. And I, I just really, really appreciate that. And it, I've, I've already got a page and a half of notes and um, we can't wait for our listeners uh, to hear your story uh, because you'll be new to a lot of them. And um, it just goes to show you how, how big the world is, but yet how small it is as well. Yeah, it's it, it, that has been awesome. You know, uh, social media has been, it, when used correctly, uh, has been great. You know, that's how people can find out about you guys. And and it's like you mentioned, it's been it's been pretty neat. I've, I'll, I'm going to have a Zoom call tomorrow, and I'm going to have a guy on there from Germany and a guy on there from. Man, it, like you mentioned, the, the fact that we can connect. And now here's the deal, and you guys are finding this out, I'm sure. Now you have a platform. What are you going to use it for? You know, and I think that's the next question. And y'all obviously are. Are, are trying to help other coaches. I mean, that's that's what your goal is and that's what you're doing. So I really appreciate y'all's time. Coach, before we let you go, how can our listeners get a hold of you and find your book? Sure. Um, if they want a paperback copy, it's on Amazon. It's called Find a Way, What I Wish I Had Known When I Became a Head Football Coach. Uh, I've got the digital on my own website, which is fbcoachsimpson.com. And there's other resources on there, especially for younger coaches that maybe are looking for some resources they can have. Those are on there. And I tell everybody, if money is ever an issue, you, you find me and, and I'll get it to them for free. I, mean, I don't I didn't do this to make money. I do this to help people. So money is ever an issue. You know, I'll send it to whoever. They can find me on Twitter, FB Coach Simpson, uh, or I've tried my own YouTube station where I'm trying to put out daily things. And that's just just look up Kenny, Coach Kenny Simpson on YouTube. Uh, just trying to give back to the community that gave so much to me. Awesome. Is there anything else you th- you think we haven't covered today that you'd like to leave our listeners this? No, man, I really appreciate you guys' time. And, and uh, you know, I, 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 X's and O's are fun. I get hit up a lot on that, but I love talking. What I got to talk with you guys. Uh, culture, I think a lot of coaches have need to understand that this is where you win and lose games. The marker board is second. Would 100% agree with you. Coach Simpson, thanks for your time today. Uh, We're honored uh, you took the time. Best to you and your program. Thank you, guys.
Thanks again for checking out our podcast today and sticking around to the end. Dwayne Mathis and I are so grateful that you decided to stop by. Just a reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on any platform that you use to listen in. Apple, Google, Spotify, you name it, we're on it. If you have any questions, please be sure to send us an email at lifeleadpg at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, our listeners, about topics you want to hear regarding leadership. Also check out our YouTube channel. We post videos every Sunday and recap the podcast that we had the previous week. Great opportunity to get a quick hit of what we're talking about. Subscribe to the YouTube channel so you don't miss an opportunity to get better as a leader. And as always, let's keep chasing life, leadership, and pursuit of greatness in everything that we do. Have a great night. Thank you.